if you're designing something that needs lots of compute power, there's an FPGA for that. Ultra low power, FPGAs have you covered there too. Designing for the mid-range, well, your choices may not be as plentiful. Here's Rich and Vin. Good afternoon, Rich Nass, Executive Vice President of Open Systems Media, here for this week's Dev Talk with Rich and Vin podcast. Hello, Vin. How are you? Good, Rich. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. I was in Taiwan a couple weeks ago, and as you know, it just takes forever to figure out what time zone you're in. When you when you get there, you get back. I wasn't there long enough to adjust to their local time, but just completely screwed up when I got back. But I, I'm just about adjusted now. And here we are uh, for this week's podcast. Yeah, well, I'm adjusting to the to a different time change. Uh, I just finished teaching for the semester, for the quarter uh, and my MCU class, and so I'm trying to get myself back to being able to get on a regular schedule and not having, you know, students call in and what you know wanting some time and doing some things. So I'm getting back into. Oh, come on, you love that. That's I know your, your favorite thing is when your phone rings and it has one of your students. Yes, it it fills my soul for sure. Um, But and as you know, you know, I start every class uh, because I never thought that universities taught MCUs well um, and said and and I say, look, MCUs are different than other ICs because it's one of the couple of classes of devices where the engineer puts their intellectual property into the device instead of around it in the form of a circuit. Um, and there really only are a couple of classes of things. There's MCUs, there's programmable logic, and everything else really is an op amp's an op amp, a transistor's a transistor, and you may use it differently. All right, let me stop you right there. So just, I think I know what you mean, but what exa- when you say the IP is in the device, what exactly are you referring to? So when you use an op amp or or a transistor switch or or uh, even a, a voltage regulator, no matter what the circuit is, it operates the same way, because you're putting things around it to make it do something. An op amp, you put passive components to make a filter, but it's not a filter by itself. But that intellectual property, the understanding of how to design that, is the stuff you put around the device on the board. With an MCU or with programmable logic, you're building that functionality into firmware or in connected devices inside the programmable device that makes it do something different in your circuit than in Tom's circuit or Jane's circuit. Uh, And you're affecting the device itself, not the stuff around it. And so you need to think about those devices from the system level down, because the kind of device you pick, the kinds of A to Ds that might be on there, the kinds of min term and max terms that might be on there, or or um, uh, modules that might be on a programmable device that you can use, um, needs to be appropriately selected for your application. And, and that's okay. why you need to think of the system first. Yep. Okay, so you mentioned programmable logic a few times, and I just wrote a piece um, about programmable logic because I got a little bit of an issue with the programmable logic industry in general. Um, how there seems to be this focus on, I'm going to say that they're higher margin parts, and that's probably the reason why that this is happening, but there's a big focus for the really high end the, where there's lots of compute power, and then there's a focus at the really low end for super low power for like wearable type devices. And there's this middle part that's, I believe is huge, 
that is not getting really attention. And if you ask the, I won't mention the names, but if you ask the, the typical programmer logic guys, they'll say, oh, we have parts for that. We take this one and we and we dumb it down so, it's, so it serves this market. We take this one and we, and we add some extra compute to it so it can come up into this into this category. But but there wasn't really anybody who was designing right for that mainstream, which I think is the biggest segment of the market. I, I agree. Devices and tools. Sometimes the tools are so yes. complex because they're geared toward the high end. But when you dumb down a high end device, you're not really dumbing down the tools. So your learning curve is really high and you're stretching something from the low end up. And MCUs do the same thing, right? The 8K part and the 16K part and the 32K part are the same die. So the yep. so the cost is you know of the die is the same, um, and and so you can never really get down to what you need to appropriately size it for your device and the same or for your solution and the same thing for programmable logic. So I think I may have found I was going to say a solution to the problem, but that's probably not not the right way to say it. But Lattice has a bunch of parts that actually were designed initially for that middle ground, and um, I've asked Gordon Hands, who's a senior director from Lattice, to join us today. I hope that's okay with you, Vin. Uh, absolutely, um, that's awesome. To, to to talk about this and and to to validate is what I'm saying right? And um, what's up with that? Why are, are people ignoring this segment? So we'd like to welcome you, Gordon. Come on to our show. Hey, really uh, glad to be here. Uh, great to be chatting with you again, uh, Rich and uh, Vin. Super nice to meet you for the first time. So yes, great. Uh, happy to be part part of the conversation. So is that uh, true? So, so, what I, what I said about that middle ground, like, is is it is is it true that there's not a lot of activity that's directed directly at that mid range? Yeah, I, I think uh, the observation that uh, that you're making is exactly the observation that we made as as Lattice about uh, three, four years ago. So, you know, we'd, we'd been doing a lot of uh, small FPGAs, super well-known for that, uh, and seeing a lot of success with those products. Uh, and then we looked at the kind of broader FPGA landscape and said, hey, there's some people doing some pretty interesting things at the high end, but really not a lot of optimized uh, devices. And we actually had our customers come to us and say, hey, can you guys look and see if you can can fill this gap? Can you solve that problem? And that was really the inspiration behind uh, a platform that we introduced uh, back, let's see, uh, December of last year, our Avant platform, where we said, hey, let's design from the ground up an FPGA, really designed for the mid-range, and kind of modernize the category. So you know, let's see what we can do. Uh, kind of really to add some new capabilities and and, and features uh, in, into the mid-range FPGAs. So that, that's really what Avant's all been about. What is mid-range to you? How do you, how do you define that? Yeah, for sure. So I think the first thing that I would say is uh, the, the size categories over time are changing for sure, right? So I already joined the programmable logic industry a little over 25 years. And at that time, the largest FPGA that was out there had uh, at the time what we would say was uh, 13,000 logic cells, right? Uh, if we look at the, the market today, what we tend to think about is uh, zero to 150 system logic cells is small, 
and then maybe from about uh, 150 to about 750 system logic cells is the mid range. And then, you know, 750, you know, through a million and up, you know, that would be kind of the large FPGAs. Okay. So now um, I, I had talked about the margins for these devices. Is, is it fair that that's why people are avoiding it because they are much lower margin products? Uh, I, I, I think, uh, well, the, fir the first thing I'd say is, uh, good question to ask the other guys, right? You know, why are they Why are they choosing not to invest there? Uh, you know, as we look at uh, that uh, product segment, super exciting. Uh, you know, we think that that's uh, a good profitable area to do business. Uh, I suspect, to be honest, uh, you know, some of the other in the market, uh, they're in a little bit of an arms race for performance and capacity. And, you know, so they've kind of got all of that resources tied up around that. And that's distracting them from really kind of coming back and, and serving customers in this mid-range space. Because uh, certainly what we've heard from the customer base is they, they kind of feel abandoned, to be honest, by, by some of the other vendors. So, you know, we were happy to be able to step in and, uh, you know, solve some of those problems. Now, address Vin's issue about the tools as, as well. Yeah, you bet. Actually, I think that's uh, super critical because, you know, as you build the tools for these very kind of very large FPGAs, they certainly kind of get a lot of bloat in. And uh, one of the things that we've heard from at least our customer base is because we've kind of started with a small tool set and we kind of build it up now to the mid range. People are really appreciating the very fast kind of install uh, and download times. In fact, you know, what we've found is you can uh, download our tool off the web, install it, and be up and running with your design and starting your design activity while you'd still be waiting for the download to finish on some of the competitors' products. So, so let's talk a little bit about usage because in the end, customers aren't doing this for fun. They're doing it because they want to ship a product. And one of the decisions that engineers are always making is, do I do it in software? Do I do it in hardware? And this adds a third component, which is, do I do it in software? Do I do it in hardware? Do I do it in programmable logic? So what are some of the applications, sort of the sweet spot for not throwing chips on the board to do it discreetly and and um, software still isn't fast enough or effective enough or uh, I don't want to say flexible enough because you can change software pretty easily, but you know, you're know you now programming these devices with Verilog, so it is a form of software to, to make them happen anyway. Yeah, for sure, right? So I think what you're trying to get at is, uh, you know, what are some of the motivations we see, right? Why do people you know, ultimately exactly. decide to use programmable logic? Um, and, uh, you know, what we, and I guess that's compared with either using an ASSP or a, a CPU, right? Those would be the other kind of choices. So what we see uh, really a, a, a three or four kind of very common trends. So uh, one is just plain flexibility, right? Hey, I've got, uh, let's say a MIPI interface. I need to do something with data from a MIPI interface and get it to a PCI interface. And uh, are, there, are there chips available to do that? Often people find there are not. And uh, you know, programmable logic is a great way to do that very, very quickly, very agilely, or in an agile manner. Uh, then we see there's kind of a whole class of applications where things kind of have to happen in real time faster than you might be able to do with the processor. 
so we see a lot of things like motor control, power supply control, uh, board management, where that kind of real-time element uh, is really critical. Uh, and then the, the last area, which becomes kind of more and more important as we look at the mid-range, is that kind of class of applications where it's not that efficient to do it in a CPU, right? So, you know, traditionally we've seen kind of a lot of uh, DSP, a lot of machine vision type applications uh, where the FPGA is, is just hundreds of times more efficient than a CPU to, to solve the problem. And then more recently, uh, you know, we're seeing the, the, uh, uh, the AI applications and implementing uh, inferencing kind of at the edge where the decisions have to be made is kind of a really nice fit for, for the FPGA type products. You know, when you were talking, a, a light bulb went off for me in that when I was in school, we were taught you take a CPU or an MCU and you put your logic around it and, and you were done. Programmable logic wasn't even a thought back then. So this is to you, Vin. Are, are they teaching this stuff in, in school today? They they are. I mean, at both schools that I'm teaching at, um, there are classes in Verilog and classes in programmable logic. Um, the, the problem is the bridge to practical uh, in, in the university, which I think is one of the things that makes people not think of programmable logic right away when they get out of school unless a light bulb went off for them when they took the class and they decided it was really cool and they were going to find a way to use it in everything they did, right? Um, because you do the Verilog, you do simulations. You're not putting the chip in a circuit and making something happen and realizing um, that there's a difference between doing it that way or doing it discreetly or doing it in software. Like in my class, they build um, a color organ and we use the DSP library and we also build discrete filters and look at dividing the spectrum that way. So they get a feeling for the difference between doing it in hardware and doing it in software. I think in the classes that they take for programmable logic, they're not seeing that juxtaposition. They're just seeing, this is a class in writing Verilog. So let's do that. We'll run it through the simulator. We have some test cases. It either worked or it didn't. And that sort of intuition of when and where and how to use the device isn't instilled in the student in the same way. So now I'm gonna ask Gordon this question. When we're talking about the mid-range, are there places where somebody would come to you with what they're trying to do and you would say, nah, program logic isn't really right for you. You just need you just need an MCU and and whatever. Or is is it is it pretty much applicable everywhere? You know what we see with uh, you know most of the the developers out there. Uh, and, and this is, uh, you know, definitely true at the mid-range is it's not a either or, it's totally an and, right? So when we look at, uh, you know, most systems that we get involved in and, and problems where, you know, or customers where we're trying to solve their problems, uh, they they have a, a CPU as part of their system, either as a discrete CPU, or in some cases, they may be thinking about doing that as a soft CPU within the FPGA. But there's a there's a CPU there, and then uh, they're looking to extend it. Sometimes it's because the CPU can't interface to the things that are around it, or in some other cases, it's because the CPU needs kind of an assistant or an accelerator. So for me, it's it's very much uh, an and. And certainly, as we were working on the Avant platform, that's kind of the thought process that we had. You know, most people are going to pair this with some kind of processing. 
Very good. Ben, you look like you were going to say something there. No, I was going to say that that's exactly um, that's exactly right. The CPU is now uh, either in the de programmable logic device itself. And Rich, you and I saw that at the beginning of Risk Five, where people were, you know, creating Risk Five processors in programmable logic because things were changing really quickly, and the ability to change a model and change your processor was was a really cool was a really cool thing. Um, and and uh, and you know, there even at the high end there are there's the ability to synthesize some incredible things, but um, at the at this middle point where you just might need a small controller to sequence something or to do whatever. You know, I tell my students, there's nothing you can do in software that you couldn't do in hardware if you had infinite transistors and the power supply to support them, right? But the software just makes it more efficient because you're sequencing a smaller set of hardware to make things happen. And in and in programmable logic, the same thing is is true, right? You are implementing things that are reconfigurable either statically or in some cases even dynamically right as the system is running and um uh, and and that makes for greater flexibility and and lets you create some peripherals that maybe you don't have maybe you have uh, i squared c on your device but not i squared s um, and so you can do something in programmable logic to do that conversion for you so you can still do some of that stuff in your system right and and the the ideas just go on and on, but you got to think about it from the system first and pick the right um, a programmable logic device, just like you'd pick the right MCU. Very good. Very good. I think we've learned something here today, gentlemen. At least I did. Yeah. Thank you, Gordon, for coming on. Yep. And, and, thank you, Gordon. Hey, no problem. Really uh, super appreciate the chance to chat with you guys. Uh, very inspirational. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, really fun uh, to be part of the conversation. You hear that, Vin? We're inspirational. Are we? Why? <laughs> you need to follow us around and tell the people who tell us that the opposite of that every day. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks much, guys. All Until right, next week. All right, cheers now. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye.